it would not be appropriate for me if I did not say thank you to a number of people who have made today possible for the planning committee, for Evelyn and her untiring work to bring it all together, to John Stoffel. There are very few of us in life who have an opportunity to hear our obituaries while we're still living. Thank you, John. Uh, Jim and to the staff, thank you for your welcome and your courtesies. Uh, and I also must say thank you to a young man who grew up in this church and in his brilliance, more brilliant of course because of the good preaching and music and Sunday school work and so on, but Dr. Hunter Norris, who grew up at Brainerd, who's now one of the outstanding ophthalmologists, that's a great word, uh, eye surgeon of the, of the world. His practice is in Tullahoma. And uh, since I saw you last, the last time I saw you was through clouded eyes with cataracts and with glasses. And thanks to the uh, skillful, genius work of Dr. Hunter Norris, cataracts have been removed and implants have been put in, and I can see you much better. For many of you, that is a blessing. For some of you, <laughs> thanks to all who have looked forward to and dreamed about making a 70th anniversary celebration in honor to Jesus. To those of us who are privileged to gather in the room, to those who are here, who across seven decades have worked hard to honor Jesus. But I must also say a word of thanks to a vast sanctuary full of people who are no longer with us. Men and women who loved Jesus, who served, who sang, who taught others, who prayed, who were involved in missions, who served as deacons, who did all of the work in 70 years of making it possible that Brainerd would be a beacon for the Lord Jesus Christ. For that vast number over yonder in heaven. And we'll join them. We'll join them either one by one or we'll join them all at once if the Lord would come again before we say goodbye one by one. To all, to all here, to all who have loved and labored here, to all who have served here, 
I want to say a personal word of thanks. What Bible verse, what Bible text, what scripture would speak to us about 70 years, about a yesterday and a today and a tomorrow in the service of the Lord. In that often strange book, but always beautiful book of Hebrew poetry, an oral history that was later written down in the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of the preacher, the book of the teacher. In Ecclesiastes in the third chapter, here is what the preacher said to the children of Israel. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toils? I have seen the burden God has laid on men he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This, says the preacher, is the gift of God. And the 22nd verse reads, so, I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. For who can 
bring him to see what will happen after him. There are several keys to the understanding of this wonderful book of Ecclesiastes. The recorder identifies himself as the preacher or the teacher, the author. It was put into written form probably some 300 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. The key to the writing of this and to the understanding of this is the mystery of God. If ever we approach that moment and that time in our life when God is not mysterious, then we miss a great deal of the majesty of God. God is a mysterious one. But a guide to the understanding, little by little, more and more, as the days come and go, as the seasons come and go, as the decades come and go, the key is to remember the mystery of God. A key to the understanding of Ecclesiastes is that we are to enjoy the life that God has given us. We've all known folks, and some of us still know some folks, who seem happiest when they can turn the corners of their mouths down and always find something to grumble about. That's easy to do. It's easy to find things that you don't like. It's easy to find things you disagree with. And one of the most natural things that comes to our hearts and our minds is to be able to be dissatisfied with life as we find it. But the preacher, the teacher in Ecclesiastes says life is a gift of God. In every day, in every hour, in every year, in every decade, life is to be lived to its fullest. Life is to be enjoyed. The barnacles are to be torn away so that the ship might sail in joy and in satisfaction. A key to the understanding of Ecclesiastes is that there is an element of eternity that we call time. What it is and how we handle it and what we do with it will depend on whether or not life has meaning. There are some questions I need to ask you. And as I ask you, I ask myself the same questions. Questions that boil up out of our study of Ecclesiastes. How do you react to the wonders 
and the worries and the weights of life. What is your natural inclination? What is your natural reaction when you have to wait? What is your natural reaction when you are in the presence of some magnificent, glorious scene? Driving from Tullahoma to Chattanooga this morning over Mont Eagle, the brilliance of the sun and the turning of the leaves why it made me want to stop just every few miles and, and get my camera and take another picture. Those of you who know me know I have taken a few pictures in my life. How do we react? How do we receive in the N-O-W, the now of our life, the, this moment of our life? How do we react? What reminds you of the passing of time? Oh, brother, if I ask a tough one there. No, it's not so tough. It's, that's an easy thing to answer, but it's not a very pleasant thing to answer, is it? My father died 12 years ago this last month, and yet he is ever with me because as I on occasion will glance down at my hands it's just my dad's hands. Exactly. And when I pass a mirror and glance in at that mirror, I take a look, a double take, and I say, well, hi, Dad. <laughs> How do we mark the passage of time. How are you aware that time moves and that time passes on in your life? Oh, there are the obvious wrinkles. There's the gray hair. As I mentioned to John this morning uh, in the office, one of Dr. J.D. Gray, long time wonderful pastor, First Baptist Church in New Orleans said, I'm just glad mine turns gray before it all turns loose. We mark the passage of time. We're aware of the passage of time. We go to the doctors. We take different pills. We take different medicines. We do this. We do that. All marking the passage of time. How do you determine whether or not the activities that you currently choose to be engaged in are appropriate for the time in which you now live? Now, there are a lot of folks who retire from society, retire from church activity, retire from life almost at a very early age simply because though they may go to the job every day, they retire from the sense of adventure. And when you lose your sense of adventure, you lose a lot. And it doesn't make any difference whether you're a preteen or whether you're a teenager or whether you're middle-aged or whether you're getting on up like some of us. Every day ought to be an adventure. Every year ought to find us trying something we never tried before. Keith, Gigi's husband in Tullahoma, was constantly amazed 
at all the different things that his father-in-law, me, uh, has been trying and doing that I've never done or tried before since I moved to Tullahoma. And he's just kind of, and it's great if you can kind of, kind of amaze your son-in-law. Now that's all right. How can we learn to accept the times and the seasons as they occur instead of becoming impatient or, or resentful or sour or bitter? Ecclesiastes is about finding meaning for life regardless of the particular chapter of life in which we find ourselves. Proverbs is a marvelous study, and it tells us that the world that God created has order. Job is a great poem, and in Job we find the challenge by a righteous man to God, the challenge to find meaning out of all of the things that were happening in his life. But Ecclesiastes tells us that life is unpredictable but we'd better learn to live with it and to seize it and to take advantage of the turns in the road that come, knowing that as we seize the moment, that then we're able to do great things for God. Ecclesiastes encourages us to live life today. In the 12th chapter, in the 13th verse in Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, fear God and keep his commandments. Learning the lesson of Ecclesiastes, learning the lesson of the preacher, that life is unpredictable, that there are times and there are seasons, that there will be abrupt turns in the road, that there will be mountain peaks and valleys. What in the wide world would this say to Brainerd Baptist Church assembled, celebrating, rightly celebrating 70 wonderful years of ministry? We are to live today. And if we live today, to the fullest, we must, with a freshness, nail down what it means to be a church. Never drifting away from what it means to be a church. Nailing down what it means for the individual Christians of us what it means to be a Christian. We must be like Christ. In his body, he had a body, no, not in that way. In our minds, no. In our practice of religion, no. We must take our cue from Jesus who over and over and over taught his disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple, that you love one another. 
The distinctive mark of the Christian is love. The distinctive mark of a New Testament church is love. The distinctive mark of a New Testament preacher is love, not just spoken from a pulpit, but in the community and in the lives of people. In seasons of life, love is the key and the keystone. Love for God, love for Christ, love for the Holy Spirit, love for his people and love for all people as we reach out. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thine humble dwelling. And all thy father's mercy's crown. If we are to learn a lesson as Brainerd Baptist Church celebrating 70 years of a glorious history, then Brainerd should remember its distinctive past, but never live in the past. Just a week ago, it was my privilege to be with some 30 individuals from around the world in the Lambeth Palace, the palace of the Archbishop of Canterbury in London. As he received us in the conference that we were having, and he shared this, he made this remark to us. He said, the church, if it is to be uh, an honor to God, the church must be on mission, that it must be humble and it must be generous. And I thought as I heard him say that, yes, that's what Brainerd has been for 70 years. On mission, humble, recognizing that its strength and power comes from God and generous to the point of giving and giving and giving and giving. Brainerd has been this for 70 years, but Brainerd must not live in the past. It's so easy for us to do that. It's such a tendency for us to live in the past of great times and great victories and, and the experiences that we've shared together. But we must adventure, which is a verb, in the now. If the best days are behind us, then we just need to lock the doors and maintain the buildings as some monument of something that used to be here. In the unpredictability of life, said Ecclesiastes, Brainerd's best days are today and tomorrow. And so with all the great confessions that have come down through the course of history, all of them have come out of crisis. You have known your share of crisis days. Remember that great spiritual strength comes when we use crisis in the most glorious way. Remember, please, we live in a different world than it was in 1928 when the charter members gathered on a dusty road and began Brainerd Baptist Church for the glory of Jesus. We live in a different world, 1959, when I came as your pastor. I was dealing with the, with the pulpit committee about this very time 40 years ago. It's a different world. It's a different world from what it was this time last year or even last month. We live, as it were, standing in a rushing river 
And so we must learn to hold on to the very best of yesterday, but not live in yesterday. That's our challenge. Rejoicing in the love and the experiences and the victories and the high moments, yes. But not building monuments to the past. The Titanic has received a great deal of acclaim and publicity lately, hasn't it? But there was another ship built after the Titanic, beautiful, luxurious, a floating palace. The Queen Mary moved across the Atlantic majestically, carrying thousands and thousands of passengers. There came the Second World War. The luxurious furnishings were stripped out. The ship was painted gray, and it was called the Gray Ghost, and it was made a hospital ship, and it served throughout the Second World War as a hospital ship. After the Second World War, it was put back in service for a brief time, but then because of airplanes, the time for the luxurious crossing liners was passed. And so it was scrapped. An individual bought the Queen Mary and had it towed over to Long Beach, California. And they refurbished it and they put it back like it was in its glorious days. Sue and I stayed on it one night when we made a trip to California. And it's beautiful to look at as it's tied there. It's a hotel. It's beautiful to see, but it's, but it's sad. It's sad. It's sad because the great engines no longer throb. It's sad because the crew no longer charts the navigation for it to sail across the waters. It's beautiful, but it's tied down to the dock. It's not going anywhere. Brainerd must never become like the Queen Mary, a great ship built to sail, a great ship built to carry the gospel, a great ship built to stir the hearts and the souls of men and women and raise up boys and girls for the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brainerd must never become like the Queen Mary, a great once was, but not going anywhere. And if there's any decision that you and I need to make, it is that the very first thing on our prayer list will be that Brainerd will be the great sailing ship Jesus wants it to be. And that's done 
when we remember Jesus, who said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. This church would love to welcome you in love. If you'd bring your life, if you'd bring your church membership, if you'd bring your spiritual destiny, if you'd bring your talents, and you'd bring your abilities, this family of faith would love to say hello to you. And you're going to have that opportunity in a moment. I can't think of a better time than to come and to join Brainerd Baptist Church and here as we celebrate the 70th anniversary. You've never started the adventure of faith because you've never accepted Jesus as your savior. Today is the day to ask God to forgive you for your rejection of Jesus and ask you to accept Jesus as your Lord and your master. And if you do that, then you'll find a new family here who will love you in Jesus. We're going to sing hymn number 294. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. And if we'll let Jesus do that, he'll make a difference in our lives, one by one, individually. If we'll let him do that as a church, he'll make a difference. He'll make this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow to be better than ever before. He'll make the future much brighter than the past. Have thine own way, Lord. As we stand and sing, Brother Jim will be at the front. Will you come? <laughs> 